0: If uh, you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 3. Uh, If you are borrowing one of our Bibles, that's page uh, 833. If you have a large print of one of ours, that's 1462. Uh, Hey, we're going to be concluding our series, Hardwired for Holiness. Uh, Again, I love that quote at the end of the video. Millions of Americans have abandoned religion only to recreate it everywhere they look. Uh, The decline of religion in our country is well documented. Uh, Studies have shown that no religious affiliation is the fastest growing religious category in our country. Uh, But at the same time, uh, sociological studies have shown that we all have these religious impulses. Religious impulses like um, a need for a guiding story, a need for identity, a need for purpose, a need for connection, community, belonging, a need for rhythm and routine. Uh, These religious impulses, they are fundamental to the human experience. And there's varying views on where these religious impulses come from. Some explain them through a psychological lens. Uh, We would say that God created us with religious impulses, but regardless of why we have them, uh, there is no doubt that they are very real, and they are fundamental to the human experience. Our scripture reader for this morning is Nikki Cruz. Uh, Nikki, if you can make your way up to the podium, as she does, I'm going to ask if you're able please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, Nikki. whenever you are ready, please read from Luke chapter three.
1: John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay.
0: Nikki, thank you very much. You may be seated. As uh, Pastor John said last week, we are searching for the sacred anywhere we can find it. Searching for the sacred Anywhere we can find it. In our culture, religion is recreated in all sorts of places. Um, Movies and music, they give us our guiding stories. Uh, Politics and sports give us identity, purpose, community. Uh, Diet and fitness, they give us our rhythms and routines. Um, I just couldn't help but notice uh, this past week how we as a country have been reacting to the death of Kobe Bryant. And again, horrible, horrible tragedy. My heart breaks uh, for his family and the families of everyone who died. I can't even imagine uh, what they are going through. It's a terrible thing. Um, But I noticed that our reaction isn't focused on the tragedy of the nine lives lost. It's focused on the loss of Kobe, And the outpouring of emotion and all the tributes to his memory, it's as if one of our gods has died, lowercase g. And while we've learned a lot about Kobe this week, I think we've learned a lot more about us. And I'm not saying our reactions to his death are bad, Um, just the opposite. They're compassionate and that's good. But to have that much emotional connection to a cultural icon, it shows, it reveals our religious impulse. We have had a religious devotion to making tributes to Kobe this week. The absence of religion is revealing our longing for it. But recreated religion will fail to provide ultimate meaning. Movies and music, politics and sports, diet and fitness, they're all great until a tragedy occurs, a death happens, a diagnosis strikes. When we are confronted with the reality of our own mortality, our recreated religions fall painfully short of fulfilling our need for ultimate meaning. This morning, we're going to look at one more way we are hardwired for holiness, something I'm calling hardwired for principle, hardwired for principle. Uh, The first part of this whole uh, idea of hardwired for principle is that we all have this impulse that there is right and there is wrong. And when we use the terms right and wrong, what we're really talking about is what the Bible calls good and evil, right and wrong. Those are just contemporary words for good and evil. Uh, we have this innate sense that there is a right way, the way that things should be. And we all have this feeling that there is something wrong. The, the world isn't as it should be. Now, the Bible calls this wrong sin, but whatever you call this wrong, we can't escape it. It's like everywhere. And in the Bible, there is a divine hostility to evil. If you look back at Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 8 in your Bibles, where it says, John, this is John the Baptist, said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John is saying there's something wrong, and something needs to change. Now what complicates this is that we don't agree on what is right and wrong, right? We live in a culture of moral ambiguity, and it's not just our culture, it's all of us. And while it's popular for some people to say that there are no moral absolutes, uh, we can say that all we want. There are no moral absolutes. The fact is, each and every one of us, we have moral absolutes. And even saying there are no moral absolutes is a moral absolute. I hate to break it to you. Um, The problem is we disagree with what those morals are. What is right and wrong? Whether it's something political, like pro-life or pro-choice, or something more personal, like, um, how honest do I really have to be with my taxes? We all have a set of morals that we use to make decisions in life, but regardless of what morals we land on, this universal sense of right and wrong exists. There is good. There is evil. We just struggle with figuring out which is which. And there is this temptation when trying to decide what is right and what is wrong. And that temptation is that it's really easy to confuse what I want with what is good. It's really easy to confuse what I want with what is good. For example, I think bacon is good. Right? I think bacon is good. Yeah, see, I'm assuming there's other people who feel this way. Why? Because I like bacon. Now, that doesn't mean it's right for me to eat it. It just means that I like it. And so I assign it a moral value. Bacon is good. Um, Now, I don't like cooked mushrooms. So they're bad. Okay? And I could even jokingly say, and sometimes we do this, cooked mushrooms are evil. Right? We play with this language. Things we don't like, they're evil. Now, it doesn't mean it's wrong for me to eat them. Now, I like the money I earn, and I don't like giving it to the government, but that doesn't mean it's right for me to cheat on my taxes. If my right and wrong are based upon what I want, it leads to all sorts of bad things. And to confuse what I want with right and wrong, that that starts really early in life. That's not something we learn. It's something that just comes natural to us. Ask anyone who has young kids or work with young kids. I found uh, these toddler's rules of possession. Um, let me just share toddler rules of possession and see if this rings true. Okay? If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. These rules are all rules about what I want. And while it would be convenient for the world to be revolved around us, deep down we know that there is right and wrong, good and evil. It's an impulse. And we have this second impulse in relation to being hardwired for purpose. And that is is that, for the most part, we want to be good. That sense of something wrong includes something wrong with us. We feel it. And the Bible says sin is deeply ingrained in each one of us. But don't you ever feel like there's something not quite right with you? You know, maybe when you're quiet alone, laying in bed, it's just you and your thoughts and just kind of reflect. Something's not right, right? You know? And it's not just that sometimes that we do things that are wrong, but there's actually something wrong in us with us. Are you really the person you feel like you're supposed to be, we're meant to be, we're created to be? Or when you think about the person you were supposed to be, meant to be, created to be, and you look at who you are, something is off. You see, there's something off in each of us, and we know it. And so the second impulse causes us to ask, well, how do I become good? How do I become good? We all have a need to feel like we are right, to feel like we are good. And if you look back at verse 10 in Luke chapter 3 from the passage, if you look back in your Bibles, after John the Baptist warns them, they all respond with, well, what should we do then? What should we do? While some of us, some of us, we have to be right all the time. You know, when we always have to win the argument or have the last word, or always do things by the book. Um, And while that's true for some of us, all of us have a sense that whatever is wrong with us, it kind of needs to be fixed, and we don't really know how to fix it, we don't want to fix it. And so we have this need to justify our behavior. And we don't necessarily have to justify our behavior to others, although we do that often too, but really it's more important that we have to justify our behavior to ourselves. We can't simply tell ourselves, I did that because I wanted to, or I didn't do that because I didn't want to. We need reasons that allow us to maintain our sense of goodness. And so we deceive ourselves and justify our behavior. And most of the time though, most of the time when we don't do what is right, it's because we wanted to do it. That's the truth kids, why'd you take that toy? Because I wanted it, if they were honest. Or adults, why did you call in sick when you weren't sick? Well, because I didn't want to go to work today, if we're honest. Okay, but that does something to us. We feel bad and we don't want to feel bad. So we come up with these justifications for why we do the things we do. Um, and people may joke, about being evil, you know, may humorously say things like, yeah, you know, I'm just rotten to the core kind of thing, or I'm just rotten that way. But the large majority of us, we're not comfortable actually viewing ourselves as if we're rotten or bad. Now, there are people who don't care about right and wrong. They honestly don't care about right and wrong. We have a term for those people. They're called psychopaths, (laughs) right? Most of us care about right and wrong. Most of us have a desire to be good. And in the passage, John responds to those asking, well, what should we do then? What should we do then? And he seems to give them some rules. Uh, And rules are simply laws that you follow. Rules are laws that you follow. If you look back in your Bibles to Luke 3, verses 11 to 14, where John answers them by saying, well, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, in one sense, we hate rules because they restrict us. But there is something about rules that we love. They give us structure. They they make us feel good about ourselves when we follow them. And rules, they are everywhere. Uh, You want some rules for life? Trust me, you will be able to find them. Um, Google rules for life, and you'll get all sorts of lists. Um, Here's one set that I found. Um, Express gratitude. Keep your promises. Say I love you be gentle with others, speak the truth, laugh at yourself, speak words of kindness, consider others, do your best. Okay, there's one set of rules for life. Here's another set of rules to live by. Um, Wake up. That's actually a good idea. Uh, Be thankful. Try new things. Help others. Trust yourself. Worry less. Keep going. Love unconditionally. Dream big. Um, You know, and everybody's got rules. The EPA has rules they'd like you to live by. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Those are EPA rules they'd like you to live by. There are rules to live by for physical fitness. Eat right, exercise regularly, get good rest. Uh, There are sports rules to live by. Celebrate victory, work hard, be a good sport. Work as a team, have fun. Um, I even found some rules for being lazy. Uh, There are lazy rules. The further away the remote, the more you like what is already on TV. If you spill water, it'll eventually dry. If you drop an ice cube, kick it under the fridge. Those are good rules, I don't know. Here's a marriage rule I've never seen before, but I think it's a pretty good rule. Never yell at each other unless the house is on fire. That's good advice. Of course, the Bible has the most famous set of rules, the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. In the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments were just the tip of the iceberg when it came to rules. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And then, by Jesus' time, uh, they had rules to explain what the rules were. Uh, like, uh, don't work on the Sabbath. Well, what does it mean to not work on the Sabbath? So they had a whole list of rules to explain what that one rule meant. Now, here's the truth about rules to live by whether it's life rules, or environmental rules, or physical fitness rules, or sports rules, or lazy rules, or marriage rules, or Bible rules. It is impossible to have a rule in every situation. It is impossible to have a rule for every situation. And Jesus knew this. And he said in Matthew chapter five, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the the, teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had all the rules and nobody really followed the rules like them. But Jesus knew that they could not keep the law of God by trying to follow all of the laws of God. You can't do what God wants you to do. If all you have are rules, you cannot become what God wants you to become. If all you have are rules what we need is something I'm calling principles. If rules are laws you follow, principles are beliefs you live by. We don't need laws to follow, we need beliefs to live by. And I would argue that's what John the Baptist was doing in Luke chapter three. He wasn't just giving random rules, He was actually giving them beliefs to live by. John answered, if you look back at verse 11, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Do you really think that's all John was talking about was food and clothes? I think what John was saying is, hey, look, actively care about those who are less fortunate than you. And so you could insert money or shelter or cars or almost anything else, and live by that principle. And John would say, yeah, that's right. I'm not just telling you food and clothes. It's not the point. And he goes on to say, it goes on to say in verse 12, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Do you really think that only applies to soldiers and tax collectors? That maybe what John is saying, don't take advantage of those that you have power over. And so you could insert kings or presidents or police officers or parents or anybody who is in a position of power over someone else. Don't abuse it. Don't misuse it. Don't take advantage of the people that you have power over. Um, There are lots of companies that, yeah, all companies have rules, but a lot of companies, they have an overarching principle. Let me just share some of them with you. Um, Uber says, do the right thing, period. L.L. Bean says, treat your customers like human beings. Johnson & Johnson, we must be good citizens, St. Jude's Hospital, no child is denied treatment. Ikea, create a better everyday life. Southwest Airlines, fun-loving attitude. Uh, The Business Psychology Company, have fun, make money, do good. If you work for one of these companies, you know what they expect. Well, Jesus had a principle for how we're to treat others. And where he says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do to others what you would have them do to you in everything. If we follow Jesus, this is what he expects in how we treat others. And he goes on to say, All the Old Testament laws are summarized with this principle. We are hardwired for principle. We need someone to give us guidance in how to do good and how to do what is right. And we can get rules anywhere and we can get principles anywhere, but none of them will fulfill our impulse like following Jesus. And what does Jesus require? One, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. It's really quite that simple. John 6:28 and 29, then they asked him, "What must we do to do the work that God requires?" And Jesus answered, "The work of God is this: Believe in the one He has sent." There you go. Live for Jesus. Colossians 3 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Love God. Love your neighbor. As Jesus says in Matthew 22, when he's asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second Is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Believe in Jesus, live for Jesus, love God, love your neighbor, and you will be joining the kingdom of God. A movement that spans thousands of years, billions of people making an eternal impact. No other rules or principles will fulfill you like these. Believe in Jesus, live for Jesus, love God, love your neighbor. This series has been all about addressing religious impulses, whether it's our impulse for purpose or connection or rhythm, or as we talked about this morning, principle. It is hardwired in our nature to seek after these things. And we have recreated religion in all sorts of forms. But following Jesus is the only way to fulfill the impulses we have. Whether it's the impulses we have in the mundane of everyday life, or when they become really crystal clear, when our worlds are turned upside down, When a tragedy occurs, a death happens, a diagnosis strikes, whenever we are confronted with the reality of our own mortality, Jesus Christ, the resurrected King of Kings, His way of life, His community of followers, His impact on the world is the only source of ultimate meaning. Please pray with me. And Lord, we just come before you grateful for your great love for us and how you seek to fulfill our deepest needs, desires, impulses. And Lord, I would ask that you would give each and every one of us both the wisdom and the perseverance to um, see what it is, how it is that you want us to live out life as you've intended us to live it out. Believing in you, living for you, loving you, loving our neighbor. Lord, show us how to do that in our everyday life. And Lord, may everything we say and do ultimately be for your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.